0: a bit of a break um because it's been a bit of a weird time and but I'm back it's me and you're listening to too lazy to write and I'm your host the real John Baker and um there's been a lot going on uh so since we last whoopsie uh since we last spoke um I've had some loss in my life my father passed away um A month ago a little over a month ago at the beginning of uh, December and um, it's been a bit of a challenging time for me Um, but I've had some great aside from family immediate um, and extended who have been there for me um, friends and former colleagues who are friends now and, and neighbors and just the outpouring of support really has been truly amazing, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, and I'll get into that uh, some other time. <laughs> but for right now, excuse me, for right now, I am back with an all-new podcast where I spoke to some people, once again, uh, as I like to do. So, uh, who was it this time? Well, okay, so a couple months ago, I reached out to a woman... <clears throat> excuse me by the name of Barbara Leggetti, uh, because I was hoping I could interview somebody who she knows uh, who she's friends with who she works with and that will hopefully happen very soon um, but in the process of of talking with Barbara uh, I learned a lot about her I learned about what she does what she did um, and, uh, and and her, and what what her life's work is has been about and Anyway, wonderful woman, and uh, we got to talking, and, and she and uh, her partner, business partner, and um, corporate lawyer, a man by the name of Howard Kern, they uh, together do this. Uh, right now it's online. It, it, uh, in the past, uh, it was in person. Uh, but, of course, it has to be online now because of COVID. Uh, but Barbara and Howard have this... Um, I'm not really sure what, what the word is, what a, a community, I guess, um, a, a group that they, that they, uh, a movement, I'm not, it's self-help, I don't really know exactly what, what we should call it, but it's called Shift Poetry, and, uh, uh we get into what Shift Poetry is, and, uh, how it works, and how, how you can, um, how it helps, really, um, I'm not doing it justice, <laughs> but the interview does, and I have taken part in some of their shift Poetry evenings uh, via Zoom, and they've just been wonderful, and, and it's, it's been really helpful, to be totally honest. Um, and Barbara and Howard, uh, they both live in Los Angeles, and uh, I, of course, interviewed them via Zoom. Uh, we talked for close to an hour. And it was just wonderful. Uh, they're they're really great to talk to. Um, and I think you're gonna enjoy it. And if you want to know more about them, I'll give you the address at the end of the of the uh, podcast. But they are available, you can f- or sorry, you can find out more about shift poetry at shiftpoetry.com. It's it's two words, but one word. S-H-I-F-T, P-O-E-T-R-Y, P-O-E-T shift poetry. Dot com. They have two books out. One is called shift poetry in the time of COVID-19. And the other one is called poetry without pants written when nobody's looking. And that's volume two of a Shift poetry Collection. Anyway, shift poetry. It is, it was enjoyable. So here we are Howard, Barbara, and I just chatting on a Tuesday afternoon. I hope that, that, uh, you enjoy it. You know, I was searching to try to find a way to, to meet and interview Billy and this is just a a very happy accident that we sort of connected and became friends over this and and um and made made me want to talk more to you and to howard about what you both do um and that's sort of what i love about just you know randomly reaching out to people um and hoping for a response either way you know i've gotten some rejections and that's fine i don't mind well Um, you know, those talking people to me are, isn't for everybody, and that's fine.
1: those are foolish people, if you ask me. Right? We'll people.
0: call them foolish. Sure.
1: Well, you know what, John? I'll tell you one thing.
0: But uh, um, but I,
1: I'll tell you one thing: that everything that I'm involved with usually has to do with using words effectively. If it's to write a screenplay or to write a play or a novel or a memoir, you know, it's using words for truth. And, you know, for deepest meaning and for good change. So, for instance, the fact that I took Billy Hayes and made him make a 70-minute show out of his story. Because before that, he had slideshows, he had a documentary, but he never actually had 70 minutes start to finish. And as soon as he had that, we went on the circuit. You know, we started an Edinburgh festival. We went all over the world, and now COVID, we're going nowhere. But we're probably going to stream him. But the thing is that... What we do now, Howard and I do, is something that's analogous to um, what I've always been interested in and what I did with Billy. You know, I I used a technique to tell, to get him to tell his true story in the most heart-opening and elevating way. Now he's been writing for a long time. He has a flamboyant story. And um, when he was exposed to shift poetry, he said, man, that's kind of what, what, what you did with me, Barbara. And then his wife, right. who, is, who is not um, um, a performer or a storyteller or anything, she's a therapist and she's also a um, designer, You know, she came in and did it and she had a really profound response to it. And the profound response, mm-hmm. I think, came from the fact that what Howard um, engineers to tell people, you know, these scenarios he creates, these little, um, circumstances he leads people into, I think are very disarming and disarming and heart opening. And so she was completely blown away, you know, never having done anything like that before. So they're big advocates. Right. And by the way, in this new year, as soon as they're ready to announce the the next book coming out, he will be thrilled to work with you. Billy will.
0: Be. Oh yeah. I'm so excited. And, uh, and um, I've been, you know, reading my books. I got, them.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, you I got, got them in them. the mail a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, you got them, cool, cool. Yeah,
0: I got them. And um, I'm gonna ask right away, uh, and you can explain, both you can go back and forth. It doesn't matter to me who, who takes it or if you, however you choose to answer, but what is shift poetry?
2: Shift poetry is basically an accessory to therapy. It's a writing method without rules or judgments that helps you release feelings and be where you want to be. So basically, you know, I think the best way to describe Shift shift Poetry is for Barbara to talk about her first exposure to it.
1: Okay, well, uh, the actual name, which we trademarked, was a name we were able to trademark because we had different names for our methodology, if you will. But everything's been trademarked by Stephen Covey, the seven habits guy who's been dead for a long time. It's not by somebody else. I mean, everything that isn't trademarked by somebody else that's in the self-help world, he trademarked. And um, so anyway, uh, thus the name. But here's what I say. Shift poetry. Poetry is writing in this open-hearted way without rule. Um, and that's that's a description that came from Stacey K. Smith, who was our 22nd American Poet Laureate. I mean, some people would say, you know, poetry has to rhyme, poetry has to have cadence. Po- poetry has to have whatever you want it to have. It can rhyme, it can have cadence, it can be just blah, blah, blah. So it's writing without rules to, and then we say, write that poetry to shift to a better place. So we inspire okay. you to write, to shift to a better place. And here's the genesis of it all. Three years ago this March, I was on a, um, a Kundalini yoga retreat to Vietnam. I almost didn't go and um, and I'm glad I did because there was a gentleman among 20 people, Howard Kern, a corporate attorney, who um, I was told I would get along with because we were both chatty, but also we were the two only real vegetarians on the trip. So we would be put together you know, at meals because of our diet. And um, so basically they said, okay, everybody else, you can have these sumptuous meals. Barbara and Howard can sit at the children's table and eat carrots. So we were <laughs> thrown together and fought over many salads. But um, we were also going from place to place all over North and South Vietnam on buses and trains and planes, but a lot of buses. And Howard's a big guy. So he likes to be at the back of the bus. And I'm very nosy. I like to see everything that's going on. So I like to be at the back of the bus. So we spent time jockeying for the back of the bus and we, you know, we made our negotiation. But as we were eating and touring and blah, blah, Howard would be on his um handheld all the time. And I said to him capriciously, you know, you're you're on vacation, you're on a spiritual journey, you're in Vietnam. Why what are you doing? Are you corresponding with your clients back in America? And he said, no. I'm writing poems to process how I'm feeling about Vietnam, about my life. And in that period of time, he shared that he had gone through some bumps in his life, everyone does, but Mm -hmm. he had a dramatic set of losses. He had a bad diagnosis for his own health. There was a lot of stuff that came, you have to say, clattering down. And he said the way that he rose above and um, transformed and came to a better place with everything bad that was happening was to write poetically, in an open-hearted way. He would begin with whatever his unhappiness or conundrum was, and he started writing his way to a lighter place. And that was his intention, that was his focus. And so when he explained it to me, I I said, wow, because I had not that long before lost both of my parents back-to-back, and you can relate, and it was horrible. And... um, uh, And I'd gotten out of a bad relationship. And I have a one and only grandchild who's now 12 and was nine at the time. And she's a rock star, but she was born without hearing. She wears cochlear implants. So I would get up every day, the deaf kid, my dead parents, you know, trying to figure out which way was up. So Howard said, try the technique, this way of writing poetically to make yourself feel better. He said, also, when you write, I'll give you like a little story or a scenario. And then you take off from there, And see if you can go to the light or go to the better place and um so i started doing it i did it repeatedly and by the end of the trip i became very adept at this way of writing poetically howard is more spare in the way he writes and maybe a little bit more shaped i'm a i'm a big blabby person and my my stuff is you know sort of grand heroic i mean i i I like the way i write i can't complain you know and it's artful but it doesn't matter how you write because what became shift poetry is accessible to you at any time, any place. All you need is a mm-hmm. pen and a, and, and a paper or your palm pilot or whatever, and um a moment to settle in, essentially meditate or just settle in and settle down. And then find the thing that's you know, bothering you, let's say, or find the thing that's nudging you, and work your way to a better place within that thing. And that's where. Howard's, we call it our secret sor- sauce, you know, that's where Howard's scenarios really are launching pads. You know, when mm-hmm. we do, we do workshops, we have books, we do one-on-ones, we do corporate visits, we do family visits, we do intentional groups, you know, we're talking, you know, so we've grown a lot in the not only two and a half years to say, but um, what's always the same is getting in a mindset where you're ready to write without ego, without judgment, you know, you read, can read it to anybody. Nobody's going to say, oh, that's beautiful. That's ugly. It's truth. And there's mm-hmm. something really beautiful about the truth. So anyway. See,
2: let, yeah. let me interject for a second. Go ahead. So, Jonathan, shift poetry is about writing yourself the story that you want to live as opposed to the story that you've been dropped into. Shift poetry is, is about, you know, it's sort of like if you're lost at sea, shift poetry helps you write the cruise ship if you're if you're feeling lost on land shift poetry puts you into a spa shift poetry is always about being in the place not that you're at but being in the place that you want to be at apple apple products have created a whole business around the concept of aspirational products shift poetry is, is not going to the store or buying an iPhone or buying a Mac Pro or, or whatever. It's about writing your story, the story that you aspire to. And sometimes shift poetry is also enabling people to understand that every person, Barbara coined this phrase, she said, if you can, if you can talk, you can write. Yeah. Every per- person is a writer, although lots of people are afraid of doing that. The other thing that that I realized with Shift Poetry is that I would be afraid of what I wrote sometimes because I thought it was too deep and I was locking myself into a certain scenario. What I realized is that what, what we write is merely a snapshot of where we are at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And so I started to view my writing not, not as a commitment or a contract but just a photo of where I am at a particular moment. And and what we would say in some of the workshops is that just as you take a photo right now, 10 years from now, nobody expects you to look the same. When you write something right now, 10 years from now, that doesn't necessarily define who you are. Shift poetry right. is about helping people define themselves as opposed to being defined by other people.
1: Yeah, I would so throw to you- but sorry, I was just gonna say, no, I
2: just,
1: I, if you take a snapshot five minutes later, the snapshot is different. And right, 10 years right. later, I'm sorry, John, go ahead.
0: I, I wanted to know Howard, like you said, or Barbara said you were a corporate lawyer. Did you at all, like in your youth or in, in school, um, did you write poetry or did you write um, fiction or
2: nonfiction or, or was, was poetry just so, something you, you started one day? So what's interesting, John, is that when I was in school I did everything in my power to avoid writing because I never felt comfortable as a writer and so what I would do is I, I remember at a very early age maybe I was five or six and determining that I could not be a police officer because police officers needed to write reports and I didn't <laughs> want to write reports. Then when I went to college I took a major that was all about multiple multiple choice questions as opposed to essays because I was so afraid of writing an essay and being judged on it. And ultimately, I end up in law school, which is all about writing. And, mm-hmm. and not only could I write, but I excelled at writing. And in answer to your question, I would have stories drop into my my mind at different times. And it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like um, a sentence, it would be a whole story. And then I felt compelled to write the one of the most interesting stories that I had was who's going to flush the toilet, and it was about a, a person who's defi- who's diagnosed with um, brain cancer, and he's trying he goes to his family, and he asks every member of the family, you know, if I die, who's going to who's going to punch the toilet, and and I use I wrote the story because it just dropped down into me, and. I used the names of my family members and asked each family member the same question. And my my former wife, her response was, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll hire the the greatest, the best looking plumber. Nobody will object to the plumber's butt. My um the person with the same name as my daughter said, you know, that's that's a silly question, Dad, because you're immortal and you're never gonna die. And the um my son said, Well, i because I always knew that I could, I always knew how to, but then I knew that you would, you would do it if, if I didn't. And what happened shortly after that, I was diagnosed with um, prostate cancer. And, and I shared the story with certain people and everybody who read the story, my, my father and my sister thought that it was, um, that I was coming out to, to announce that I had cancer. My, my oh. former wife, her response was destroy it. that's a horrible story. So I did what I always do when people tell me to do one thing. I entered the story into a competition. And I won, I, I was a finalist in the competition. I found out that I was the finalist the same day that I I had a, um, an MRI or no a ultrasound a biopsy to determine whether or not I had cancer. And then, I was able to, and at the time of the biopsy, the doctor said that, you know, Mr. Kern, I'd be really surprised if you um, had cancer. And then the day that I found out, the day he called, called me up and said, Mr. Kern, I'm really surprised, was the day that I had to read the story, or the story was read by by um, actors at the library for the competition. And unfortunately, I came in third place. I should have come in first place because I really liked the my story the best. <laughs> but the whole point is that my feeling about writing is there's something magical about writing and that a lot of people don't see it because they don't, they're do not they not open to the magic. And I think with me, the Prostate Cancer story was an example, was the final um, opener for me to realize that my writing was the gift that was intended to be shared. And Shift Poetry, which was designed by Barbara and, and me, was a way to um, make it accept- my my method of feeling better without drugs, without o- overdoing exercise, without um, burdening every one of my friends and family members. It it became accessible to everybody else, and that's that's the gift of shift poetry.
0: Well, that's the thing I noticed about like being in the in the in the group in the workshops that I've taken part in, is that some people um, they're hesitant and 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 they might not want to read but when they do it it almost seems like this weight's been lifted off of them that that they're telling this whatever whatever part of the story they're telling at that moment they're really relieved to do it and I felt that myself too when I when I wrote but what I wanted to ask you you do you set up these scenarios for people to, right to do you find though that people will take a scenario that you've set up and shift it well there we go <laughs>
1: to,
0: to tell something that's on their mind so if you if you say let's talk about the election which we we did talk about a few weeks ago um people still manage to get their own little story into the election bubble is that something
2: you find that happens so, so let me answer that with, with a question. When you go into a room, you could look in the room, you could see all kinds of books, you can see flower pots, you could see animals, you can see photos. In that room, there are all kinds of triggers. And what triggers you might be different than what triggers Barbara or what triggers me. The same thing with the scenarios that we're that we're we're drawing, we're basically giving people a room that they enter into, and whatever triggers them, we like to say everything is perfect, and that's really what. It, I don't. I the scenarios are not written with the concept. I want people to only see this. I right. the scenarios tend to, um, almost be poetry themselves, and they invite people to see whatever they want to see. Whatever is important to them, their subconscious is going to latch onto that. So there is no right or wrong answer.
1: Yeah, I'm, I want to poke my nose in there quickly because when we came sure. back from Vietnam, among 20 people who actually also started to play with Howard's technique, you know, because they saw we were having more fun than the rest of them uh-huh. writing all this stuff. And the number of people got on board who become regular shift poets, but, Um, When we do our sessions, I I do a little meditation to settle down, settle in. And then I always say, um, someone's going to read, the. it's usually Howard, but sometimes I read them, sometimes other people read them, we rotate for whatever reason. The scenario will be read, but just don't take it literally. Whatever Mm -hmm. is in this scenario, use it as a springboard. You know, I mean, and if the word yellow is in it, maybe yellow will take you to the sun and a revelation about the fact that you want to move to a beach, you know. Um, And we've had pretty amazing things happen in workshops. One time, a woman who was a 50-year-old writer in Hollywood, aging out and not being uh, uh, well-paid, which happens in Hollywood, she did a deep meditation and she wrote about something that had nothing to do with what happened. She wrote her epiphany that she wanted to move to Africa and take care of elephants and that has been her journey in the last two years and it happened in our room she just jumped up and said I have got it and she wrote about it poetically yeah. as a result of a of a prompt which might have been about you know somebody who died you know bring them back and talk to them and bingo there she was in Africa that's a true story and it happens a, a bunch so that's springboard. Yeah. are there
0: um any words that you avoid when you're writing your your shift poetry are there like uh, for instance w- would you avoid like a current trend word like, like i don't i don't even know I'm I don't know what a current trend word is i wanted to say twerking but i don't think people say that
1: anymore <laughs> that's old i know exactly
0: exactly
2: so, so, but are so there the words thing. that you would avoid what i think the word that I try to avoid most is no, not negative. Shift poetry is about going to the positives, going to the light. And so when when, this, when the scenarios come to me, because again, I'm not, for the most part, I'm not focusing on writing the scenarios with a specific intention. Although when we do some workshops that are intended to focus on the election or focus on cancer, or focus on LGBTQ issues, then they're going to be more focused on on the intention. But I'd say the only restriction that I have is I don't want to get people back to their their most negative place. One thing that we do with with Shift Poetry is with our workshops, we tend to start with, with a log. So we put out an easy scenario. That wouldn't be intimidating. Then the next two are going to be deeper and ask people to sort of like Mm -hmm. get get more personal with themselves. And then the fourth one is going to be something that's going to leave people in a happy place. Because again, I don't want to run a workshop or be part of a workshop where I come in feeling okay and I leave feeling worse. I want to be part of a group where I come in you know, not knowing what to anticipate. Dig dig deep where I get some some benefit. But when I wanna leave, I wanna leave energized. I wanna leave like, you know, the woman the Barb was talking about who went went off to Africa. I wanna leave feeling like I can do things that I didn't know that I could do.
0: Right, right. I did, when I did, I've only done two workshops because circumstance kept me away from the two others. Um, but I did feel like a, a weight had been lifted, and and I was just in a better place once we were done because it was,
2: it was cathartic. I'm sure you hear that a lot. Uh, every every time, every workshop. And what's amazing for me is that, you know, Barbara and I are in every workshop. We participate, so we're not just mm-hmm. there to um to observe. We're there to participate because that goes to our sense of community and not creating a hierarchy but creating a community. And every time I write, you know, I I don't know how hey, sometimes when you're doing an interview and you're afraid, am I gonna bomb? Is it's going to go where I want to go? But every time I have those jitters, like, am I going to come out flat? Am I not going to be able to come out with any sort of inspiration for myself at a minimum? And every time I say to Barbara at the end, I say, wow, I, I, I was great. <laughs> yeah. and and, and i i love that because the whole thing is that shift poetry is hopefully helping people to find that they can say i love me you know i that's every day i want to wake up and i want to be happy to look in the mirror and and know that it's me and i want to i want other people to wake up and have the same feeling about themselves or the other thing, Johnny, that we were thinking about, maybe putting a picture of me that they could put on the mirrors. Oh, stop it.
1: <laughs> I, you know, since I was the one who ran with the ball, since I was the one who ran with the ball and the very first group shift poetry we had before we called it shift poetry was um, over Memorial Day weekend uh, back in two eighteen. 2018. And we happened to have a group of people who invited us to Massachusetts based on seeing a little bit of what we've done. They delivered mm-hmm. 12 people who were top advertising branding people they just happened to be that's who they were. They weren't there to brand they were there to, you know, remember when they grew up in Egypt or remember their dog mm-hmm. that they wanted to get another one 50 years later or whatever, but uh, they helped us to, to get to the point of shift poetry but um, They um, also, it was amazing to see how freely they wrote. And out of that grew the the name shift poetry and all. I guess that's part of what I was going to say. But um, I was also going to say, having pushed to make this into a scenario that would become a business and something that could help thousands of people now, um, I might've created a monster. No, (laughs) I might've (laughs) a little bit of a bad boy. Um, When he says that we participate in the workshops, I don't get the, the, if I read the the prompts, um, I read them when they come out of the uh, the printer i don't read them in advance and though howard has written them he has a he has a a very healthy way of writing them and putting them aside so he he finds them afresh and he always says sometimes his anxiety will i be fresh he's always fresh because you know he created the technique and he created in a way that would be self-help i want to just put footnote a very quick anecdote So the first year we were doing this, we came back from Vietnam, we started kicking around with how we could share this wonderful work with lots of people. And then it evolved into this um, shift poetry and a business. But um, on May 8th of that same year, prior to Memorial Day, I was in a terrible mood and Howard and I had a meeting and I was so obnoxious to him. I couldn't even believe it. And he said, you know what? Something's wrong with you, Ligeti, because you're usually pretty plucky and affable. We're going to do some shift poetry on you. He gave me this random scenario. I started writing and I wrote one of the poems that actually I'm so proud of, not just because it reveals something to me, but it's actually artful. I share it with you sometime. But what I did realize was on May 8th of 2018, it was the anniversary of my mother's passing. And my mother had died a couple of years before. And then a few months later, my father died. And it left this huge hole in my life. And so what I wrote was something called cats in trees. I was like a cat up a tree. What are we going to do? Ah, Just yelling and screaming at everybody. And then as the scenario unfolded, I was a cat in a tree. And a firefighter came up in a truck, put up a ladder to get this cat down. And I, the cat, looked in the face of the firefighter. And I looked one way and I saw my mother and her uh, astonishing wisdom. And then I looked the other way and I saw my father who was all love and an artist, right? And then I looked again and the firefighter was actually Howard, you know, a big brawny, nice looking guy, all those firefighters are to help me out of the tree. And I thought (laughs) that was an epiphanous moment because in the end, I realized why I was in such a terrible mood because I was really missing my parents, but also... Um, It helped me to process the better part of them. In in this whole exercise, which took 20 minutes or 15 minutes, I remembered the best of my mom. Not just all the histrionics around losing her, but her wisdom was amazing, and I've inherited some of that. And my father is so loving, and I've inherited some of that, too. And so I stood in my power for the first time after my parents had both died, accepting that I got gifts from them that I'll take to the grave, right? So that's a big That's a big story, but it was a watershed moment in my life. It turned everything around, you know, and um, and I was no longer the cat in the tree. And that was shift poetry. And that's how it works. And, um, you know, the the people have walked out of our uh, workshops also getting divorces or changing partnerships. That's all. So everything is positive, even if it may look dramatic. Everything becomes positive.
0: That's all. That's Hmm. all. and how did the community find you? or how did you find the community?
2: I think that Barbara has always been into spirituality and into, um, you know yoga, Kundalini, um, meditation, Pilates. And so the people that Barbara surrounds herself with generally, are people that are open to um, wellness and bettering themselves. When Barbara met met me, I had been going through um, a second diagnosis for prostate cancer, and I was doing I was on my own spiritual merry-go-round, trying to figure out where what what the next chapter in my life was going to be about. And so I was going to yoga. That's how I ended up. And Kundalini ended up on the retreat with Barbara in, in Vietnam. And so I think that I i am a firm believer in the law of attraction. And like attracts like. And so I think that the, the community, initially, it was being built by Barbara getting on the phone and saying, I have this cool, cool new toy that I want to play with you with. And then ultimately, it came to the point where people were were just they'd hear and they'd say can can I participate and and the most the greatest thing for me about shift poetry is whatever passion i lacked as a corporate lawyer i gained as the shift poet as 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 someone who just loves the process because one of the stories that i share early on is it's the experience of being in therapy and spending 45 minutes twiddling my thumbs, avoiding whatever issues I'm trying to get at. And then mm-hmm. in the last five minutes, I say, aha, I get it. And the therapist will inevitably say, okay, well, that's very interesting, Howard. We'll have to pick up pick that up next week. And so for the next yeah. week or next two weeks, I'm dying because I have this thing that that's right there at the surface. And there's no way to no way for me to communicate it. And Shift Poetry was actually my, um, my development of a tool for myself that helped me to take that aha moment, process it, and make it into something of value. Barbara and I, when when she first saw me writing, there were no scenarios that, that I was writing off, off of to, to prompt me. Basically, life was prompting me. We, we have some great poems that, that were in, in Vietnam talking about my, again, my visual experience of seeing Vietnam as, as an American who had only heard about Vietnam from the point of view of, of other Americans. You know, they call it the American War. We call it the Vietnam War. And, and so what Barbara realized, we when we came back from Vietnam, we went to, a, I guess it was a memoir writing class that I was part of and the prompt was think about something that made you feel empowered when you were in eighth grade and and so for me i i came up with like you know this incredible story but for most people that doesn't do it it doesn't give them the um the the inspiration to really come up with something great the other problem that both barbara and i had with memoir writing is that it keeps people back. You know, instead of moving forward, you're you're asked to revisit old times. And in this class, we'd have people that would would every time there was a meeting, they'd come up with the same story over and over and over again. I can't even, I can't even come up with the same prompt. You know, all my scenarios, every, every workshop that we have, I have to write something new because I feel like if I'm not writing something new, I'm cheating myself and I'm cheating everyone else who who shows up. And so for me, it's been very important to be be fresh and to be um, inspired. And I feel, so what Barbara did was she saw that I was writing these poems and initially I'd write, like I'd start out with one poem and I'd see at the end where I was, then I'd write another poem. And if I wasn't happy with, where I was, I'd keep on writing until I got to the point where, aha, you know, the aha moment. And so Barbara saw that and she said, she said, you know, maybe we should be doing our own workshops. So shift Poetry just started out as, we we went to a workshop one one week, the next week we had our own workshops. And from there we started growing it and growing it. We work with the PR firm, which we love, Trent and Company. And and their their comment about Barbara and the group that we've assembled is they've never worked with a group that is constantly, you know, moving forward. we I, I guess you'd say we're a shark because we can never sleep.
0: And it's 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 always changing, right? You're not always getting the same people from I mean, my experience is we're zooming. I'm assuming you you do it in person but you you get people cycling through and coming back.
1: Yeah, let, let, me, let right. me address that so it's very clear how. Sure. With basically, I started making phone calls to people I knew, and every time someone came and got it, they asked me, could they bring their mother? Could they bring their daughter? Could they bring their psychiatrist? Could they bring their dentist? Could they bring their doorman? And it, it just grew exponentially with people sharing with each other, if they had a good experience, and then, you know, we, we haven't done as much as we'd like to because we were really starting to flower. We were doing in person all the time. You know, we have a little, so we had a little center in LA. We're now ramping up because when COVID is over, we're commandeering a bigger center where we're going to offer a shift poetry retreat situation where you can also have body work and diet. We, we have a, we have a team now of people with expertise in different areas. Shift poetry allows you to unleash and find what you want to work on. And then we have lots of tools to work on it. But we, so we go to different places and speak. And one of the first places, Howard did not go. And I can't remember why, I think he had a court date or something. But I went to the Feinberg Medical School at Northwestern University, a month after we started doing these in-person things. And I explained what we were doing. And that's when I first heard the term bibliotherapy, the engagement in words to feel better. And they said, You guys have a new form of bibliotherapy. Journal writing is bibliotherapy. Memoir writing is bibliotherapy. But these kinds of therapy, you spew, you spew, you spew. There's like no focus or intention. Maybe you stumble on a story. Maybe you stumble on. And also, they were adamant about how bibliotherapy, writing, writing to feel better, was really not writing so that you could secretly come up with the novel that you're gonna publish or a play you're gonna produce. That sometimes happens. It actually sometimes happens. (laughs) One of our guys has written enough poems that he's now having a book of poetry written. I mean, produced, I mean, published, whatever you say, and the other things like that happening, because they can, because I think even if you're a professional writer, if you're really open hearted, your work, no matter what you're writing about will be more pure and better. I mean, my background is being a producer. So I spent my whole life breathing life into somebody's words. And I have some pretty famous authors I work with, like August Wilson, so like Marsha Norman, who wrote Night Mother. So I'm top of the line. So I've always engaged in words. But, you know, if a writer is a great writer and they really open their hearts, even if they're writing about the black experience in the 20s and it's 1990, they still find a sweeter place. Anyway, so that's kind of part of it. I want to plug something yeah. before the end. I also
2: that, I also want to say one thing, which is that the difference between shift poetry and other forms of bibliotherapy is that shift poetry is really writing with intention. I think for me, being a um, predominantly, I think I grew up being a left left brain kind of person, and at some point my right my my right brain said, come on, I'm over here also. So I started using both sides. Yeah. But even in writing, I feel like I need to write with, with a purpose, with an intention. I the the thing that's most um interesting about the about GIF Poetry is that somebody said, so it's like a vision board. Because the vision board you you pick the pick the photos and you put down what what you want to see, but the problem with the vision board is that you have a selection in front of you, and by the time you're making that selection, your judgments, your your um, subconscious is already guiding you to where it thinks you should be going, as opposed to where you 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 really are or where you really want to go. So we don't give people, you know, pictures of of the Riviera or of mountains or air, we we tell people, you have every resource is within you. We give people the scenario and then we ask them to just be honest. We say, we have a sign up in, in the center says, let let go ego because we want people to be mm-hmm. free and free of judgment. The, the greatest part of shift poetry for me is just the end where somebody reads and we say, thank you you know no judgment yeah. no no applause no no critiques just thank you and what that does is it gives yeah. each person the confidence to write again and to even be more honest and to be more open and and you were saying about the um feeling like a weight was lifted off your shoulders i i i think of the scenario where I ha- i'm a lawyer and so a lot of times i have secrets and those secrets you know, sometimes you, you have a secret and it's burning inside. Well, what what we all have are we have feelings and those feelings are like secrets, and those feelings are eating us up inside. And shift poetry is a way to put the feeling outside outside. So you you acknowledge the feeling, you write down the feeling, and you release the feeling. And that's that's where the lightness comes from. Yeah. Is there I'm <clears throat>
0: In my mind, I'm I'm putting together a lot of comparisons between shift poetry and improv performance because improv one of the rules is always say yes to, to continue the story moving forward, and it seems like it's it's a philosophy of this as well. Is there any do you ever get that parallel?
2: I I I, I see that I see shift poetry being very similar to a lot of different practices. You know, I, I see there's there's a philosophy in shift poetry that could be compared to um Eckhart Toll or, or Chandra Pendra. There's um there's the improv because we're asking people to be open, honest, and and just to be free. But what I try to do is I try not to read about other what other people are doing because I'm concerned that if I if I read too much, then I'll just I'll just steal it, not not consciously, <laughs> just subconsciously. And, and I think that the greatest things that we all have are our ability to be original and the freedom to be original. Yeah. And that's what we ask everybody who participates, just just be yourself, Be 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 the true you. Oh,
1: I want to put a button on that because improv is used in a lot of worlds. My daughter is a psychotherapist and she sometimes puts people through improv and she knows shift poetry very well. And both she and my granddaughter, who by the way, said this when she was nine, basically they say what we're doing is we're getting people to express themselves for heart, not art. Somehow in, in improv, there's still a product, there's an end result, something performable. But in this mm-hmm. case, it's simply to open your heart and find truth, not just a clever phrase. So if you right. can make the distinction, it's related, as Howard said, there's similarities, it's related, but, um, but there's also this getting to the truth, to look at it, let it go, say, aha, and then people say, thank you for telling the truth, thank you for yeah. giving the truth, that's it. So in that respect, it's a little bit more expansive and freewheeling. But there is right. some similarity. That's very. And,
2: <laughs> and also, I think that the important point is, um, is that improv is to put out is to entertain other people. Shift poetry is to entertain yourself.
1: Okay. Yourself, okay. yeah. Yeah, Good.
0: it's funny because you said earlier that um, if you could, if you could, what was it? If you could. If you can talk, something you can, you can write. write. I'm sorry. You said it a bunch of times. That's okay. um, if you can talk, you can write. And it reminded me of something I read once that um, every child is a great artist until someone tells them they're not. And it's, it, it was similar. I, I thought a very similar thought process to that.
2: Well, I I, I, I agree uh, with that hundred um, percent. Of, one of my favorite, singers, songwriters was Harry Chapin. And one of his songs that was a really beautiful song was the um I, I don't know if it was called it was called the Circle Song, I I believe. And it was about a little boy who goes, he has a great mom who encourages him to um draw things the way he 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 imagines them as opposed to the way he sees them. And then he goes to school and he has a teacher that says, you know, um, flowers are red and pink, and stems are green. And then he's forced to um, quash his his creativity, his imagination, and he becomes like an automaton until he moves to another city. Mm-hmm. And then he has another teacher, and he's just doing what he's been programmed to do, which is you know draw draw the flowers the way we all see them. And then this other teacher says you know, Johnny, you don't have to do that. Flowers could be whatever color you, you want to see them as. And that's really what, what I look at in terms of life is I, I tell a story about how when we're younger, when we're infants, we're, you know, people, can, our parents cannot wait to get us to crawl. And then they can't wait to get us to to stand up. And they can't wait to get us to to walk and run. And from that point, all they're trying to do is they're trying to slow us down. And they're trying to tell us what we're supposed to say, what we're supposed to, the words we're supposed to use. So up until like it's interesting, it almost corresponds to Freud, where Freud said the first four years are the most important years in your life. Those four years are the times when we're not being restricted, when we're allowed to be whoever, you know, whoever we are. But after that, that fourth year. Then we start being subject to all these rules, regulations. Yeah. And 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 so shift poetry is asking people to at least for for the time that they're reading the book or they're participating in the workshop or whatever form of shift poetry they're they're participating in, we're asking them to go back to that time when nobody was telling them no, mm-hmm. and just to be free, to be themselves, to be to to be astronauts, even if they're stuck in a basement apartment. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I'll put a footnote on that. The, uh, if you can walk, if you can talk, you can write. I kind of ripped off Nike who was selling shoes by saying, if you can walk, you can Mm. run. But what Howard said is so astute when I was a kid uh, in college, I was trained as a dance therapist among other things, and he's exactly right. You know, kids are born with full range of motion and we all want them to sit up walk, run and do that. But at the same time, we want them to conform. So there's a point at which when they're really volatile physically, and they're really expressive, and they really can scale mountains and stuff, then we tell them to sit down. Then we tell them to sit down in a straight back chair, then we put them in front of a screen, you know, and then they develop, you know, all these physical problems, which become emotional problems. It's exactly what he was saying intuitively. And I wanted to plug something for Howard because aside from the fact that he created this, um, I've known him quite well now for a period of time and we've interacted with so many people. And when we do the one-on-ones of the small groups, this is simply a gift that he has and I've seen it in other people in my not so short life of studying intuitives. He's so intuitive that if somebody's stuck, he sometimes will ask permission to step into their shoes and write from their point of view about something. And he might not know anything much about them. When I first knew him, I was having an issue with my daughter among other things with everything that happened in my life. And he didn't know my daughter at all. He stepped into her shoes and wrote a piece that I shared with her, she's a therapist. I subsequently shared with her and she became teary. And she said, how does the man know who I am? So he has a certain intuition and maybe it came from a need to be sensitive because of his losses, but when he guides us Um, including me, you know, and I'm a big know-it-all, right, is something remarkable happens. And I think that's that's portrayed in in the prompts. It's portrayed in our technique and in the one-on-ones and smaller groups we do. Our first book, which was all about COVID, the very first poem is called The Man in the Bed. Yes, thank you. And it's written from the point of view of a colleague of ours who lost his brother during COVID. And when you read it, you think that the Mm -hmm. colleague wrote it. But in fact, Howard stepped into his very emotional shoes because he just lost his brother and wrote a poem which was uncannily an understanding of a man's loss of his brother. And Howard didn't lose a brother. So I'm just I'm plugging for that because where we're going in our future is offering something that I'm very careful about, you know, because we're not swamis, you know, we're not even therapists, although we have. I studied a lot of modalities and have a lot of credentials, but we don't put ourselves out there as know-it-alls. However, you know, with the intuition that we have, and I defer to him on that, it just jogs people to open up, you know? And, you know, when starting the dialogue, like The Man man in the Bed is one of my favorite poems ever, and certainly about COVID-19, because it's so open-hearted about such a terrible Mm -hmm. thing that resolves in the end. You know, there's some peace at the end. Because, yeah. you know, at best, when you have a loss, lose someone you love to death, at pe- peace is I, one thing you always want to achieve. Anyway, so so that's a plug for Howard. <laughs> that's it.
0: Well, I, I wanted to ask Howard if he has um, a favorite uh, Harry Chapin song. I know you mentioned Circle. No. I have a favorite.
2: Um, I, my favorite, as the as dad, my favorite that, uh, has always been Cats in the Cradle.
0: Makes me, I have great memories. Cats in the Cradle, sure. My mother and I, um, when this is like years ago when I was, I think, 16, my mother, uh, both of her parents were were ill. And we lived in Ottawa and they lived in Montreal. And so it was a two hour drive. And I would go with my mother to visit and we would always put in <clears throat> Harry Chapin's uh, Greatest Stories Live was sort of our, our driving. Uh, Cassette, <laughs> and because the the first song uh, on that reminded my mother, I think of of her parents, but for me it was always a better place to be. Was uh, uh, was one of my favorite songs.
2: Do you know what's interesting about Harry Chapin? So because of Alexa, I listen to Harry Chapin all the time now, and and it shuffles the, um, the songs, and there's one song that he that I never heard live but it always pops up about how he's going to be, they want him to be president of the United States. And he becomes like a councilman oh, and a representative. One. It's a really wild song, he becomes a senator and he doesn't want to become president, I think, because he feels like he can do more as a senator. But he he was okay. incredibly um, political at, at the time. You know, he died in 1981. But there, there's one yeah. um, concert that I that I listened to, and he talks about how you know the the fat cats all the money they have, and we all have to we're all in this together, and we have to do more for each other. And he was just so, if he was saying that stuff right now, he'd be ahead of his time, you know. So it's 2020, and he'd still be ahead of his yeah. time, and he's saying that back in in the 1970s. They said that he worked. He was on the road, like over 300 days a year doing free concerts. And and the irony is that he was a horrible driver, and he ended up getting killed on the LIE. You know, going to yeah. one of you know, but just a beautiful, beautiful person. And um, and of course, taxi was was a great, great song. You know and even his his sequel to taxi was 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 intelligent and i went to school i went to law school with the guy who um who was who his family was friendly with harry chapin and harry chapin's wife and do you know the song about where he goes um to give the the guitar lessons to the woman and and the husband who's the fat cat construction workers in the other room and ultimately oh yeah um, sing I think it's called sing me a love song
0: Yeah and we know more I know the song I
2: um So what's the point of that song, you <laughs> know? So, so the point of the song is that 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 woman ended up being his his wife. <laughs> so it's and the children, children. Oh, really Yeah, and the children that he talks about are the stepchildren that it came with his um his wife. But so really? honestly. A lot of his ballads are based on his true experience, and and the sad thing is, you know, Cats in the Cradle, wasn't that wasn't based on on his experience because he didn't live that long, you know, he died at forty four. Yeah. So he he never saw his children grow up and go to college and and he be an old man retired. So I think that it's interesting that so many of his songs were based on on his own personal experience, but one of his most compelling songs was based on a fantasy that he never got to live. And when you think about it, that's what shit Poetry is offering people, offering people the ability to write their song so that even if they never live it, at least they could experience it.
0: Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'd love to end it right there because it's, it's such a perfect encapsulation, I think, of everything we've been talking about. So one of the things that I loved about that was how it kind of took that Harry Chapin turn at the end. Um, But one of the things that I, and I've talked about this a lot before, but one of the things I I love about doing this, um, this podcast and sort of my own weird, weird way, how I do it and how I cobble together these episodes and how I reach out on, you know, either like through a website or on Twitter, I'll, I'll, I'll ask somebody if they want to be, uh, interviewed, be part of the show, and uh, more times than not, people do agree, and I was lucky enough that Barbara, you know, responded to my uh, initial request, and we got this dialogue going, and then she invited me to these uh, workshops, these groups, Um, I did one before, right before the election, and then I was supposed to do one at Thanksgiving, and that didn't happen, and then I did one, I think it was, maybe I did do the Thanksgiving one. No, uh when I got back from Ottawa. So it was in December. But anyway, it was right before Christmas. That's right. It was right before the break. Um but I'm just so lucky that people choose to respond to me and and choose to talk to me cuz like who the hell am I? Really? Who the hell am I? I'm the real John Baker. And uh that's all you're getting for me today but thank you for listening and thank uh thank you to Barbara and Howard for taking the time to talk to me and um it's nice to have them in my life and it's nice to have you in my life um because I've been uh like I said I've been really thankful and grateful for all the support that has been thrown my way uh and and shown to my family um over the last couple of weeks it's really been amazing and um Maybe one day I'll sit down and I'll talk aimlessly and randomly about my father uh, for a, uh, an amount of time that uh, would be sufficient. He did uh, he did like to tell a good story, and he did ramble on my dad a lot. Uh, but he was a great, great guy. And those words aren't even enough to um, accurately describe him. So... Thank you for listening. You could find me uh, at the real John Baker on Twitter, on Facebook, John Baker. We're probably friends, and uh, the website is the number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word right dot com. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to uh, giving you another podcast in the near future. Whether I'll have a guest, who knows? It might just be me rambling. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. And Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2021. Bye-bye. Too lazy to write
2: Where can and is welcome With the real John Baker Too lazy